What's up, traders? Anthony Crudelli here, and thank you for tuning in to the Futures Radio Show podcast. As you can see, I'm not in my studio this week, as we are just a few days away from New Year's Eve. I want to wish you and your families a very happy, prosperous, and safe New Year. I have a very special and fun show for you today. As you know, I've been doing live streams for the past several months. So I took my favorite moment from each of the live streams and put them into a two-part video series. In today's part two, you will hear from Larry Williams, Jim Dalton, Merritt Black, Stephen Goldstein, Larry Tenerelli, Ben Bennett, Jack Tacker, and Leif Serrata. I love putting these clips together for this one. Each one of these guests was just awesome, and I'm so thankful to have them on the Futures Radio Show live streams. Never miss an episode of the Futures Radio Show podcast and live stream by clicking that subscribe button right there. But before I bring you today's show, I want to remind you about Micro ETH at CME Group. They are one-tenth the size of one ETH. To learn more, go to cmegroup.com. Remember, Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group, Trading Technologies, TradeStation, and FTSE Russell. The Russell 2000 is a key benchmark for small-cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol, RTY, and Micro E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol, M2K. To learn more about FTSE Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. Most people think that what they really need is just an understanding of the market. And actually, it's far more complicated than that. It's a combination of market understanding and self-understanding. Bingo. You have to give, grab the market understanding first, because unless you understand the market, you're not going to be able to really investigate self-understanding weaknesses that you might that you might have. So what comes first? But it's it's an equal split between what is important as you gain experience in the market. So once you get to that once you get to that level, then you start to say, I've looked at my charts, I've looked at my profiles. Now I come down early in the morning, we're getting ready to open the market. As a short-term trader, the first thing I focus on is overnight activity. About 70% of the time, there is a counter auction or a reversal, or at least a partial reversal, relative to overnight inventory. And I remember when I first started talking about overnight inventory, there were a lot of big institutional traders said, well, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. We don't trade overnight. There's not enough volume, not enough depth. And I would just laugh. And I said, exactly. That's the point of it. And that's why we have so many counter auctions, because so much of the trading that takes place overnight is by weaker hands traders. Today is a wonderful example. When the market opened today, overnight inventory was 100% short. And we measure that very simply. We just take yesterday's settle. If the majority of trade took place below yesterday's settle, overnight inventory is short. Took place above over yesterday's settle, overnight inventory is long. If it splits it, it's balanced. Well, we came in today and everybody's sitting there waiting for the, the big inflation number. The whole market was short. The whole market was short, 100% short. The number came out and all of a sudden you get a big short covering rally to the upside, which was really overnight inventory. Then your next question is, okay, did I have just short covering or was I joined by new money? And you start to look at the profile this morning 
And then you get into something that's less tangible, but it's the momentum, feeling the momentum, feeling the, the tempo of the market. And it wasn't there. It just died. And they couldn't even take out the overnight high. Then before we went on this program, the market started to, to break. What happens to a lot of people, if they don't understand, they mistake that short covering rally for something that's more potent. And all it was was old business. Old business or short covering can actually weaken a market. When the market's too short, that provides support to the market because there's potential buying. Once you remove that, if there's no new buying coming in, you've actually weakened the market, which is what happened today. What would you say is Jim Dalton's edge in trading? <laughs> experience, <laughs> you know, uh, many, many years of experience, many mistakes, many scars. Um, and it really comes down to the, uh, to the self-understanding, which is very, very hard to learn. I never had... I never had a mentor. I was telling you the story the other day when I first went on the floor of the board of trade, when the old timers put his arm around me, he said, he said, Jim, he said, you know, as pros, you know, we, uh, we fade the gaps. Well, as I've yeah. looked over the years, I can't think of a worse piece of information that I've <laughs> ever been given. Uh, so experience, I think, without a doubt is one of the most important things that trader need, traders need to recognize as an edge that you need time. If you, what do you think your edges technically will say? Um, it, it's really, it's experience because you're, you're looking, I only have, the only thing I have up is a market profile chart. I don't have any other charts that I look at. What you're going to see today, I trade off of a laptop, you're going to see 100% what I have. The only other thing that I occasionally add is the 100-day and 200-day moving average because larger institutions and larger uh, pools of capital do look at those two indicators. Now, somebody say, well, what about the 10-day and the 20-day and the 50-day? They may be relevant, but I can see those things happening in the profile where you'll see the market will show resistance or you know it'll just kind of slow down in there. I don't want to clutter my chart. Too many people have too much information. They have a belief that more information is better. There yeah. is no psychological studies that I've ever found that indicate more is better. It's more being more selective, having fewer things that are more important. There are so many indicators out there. And I've feel that it's a lot of them are redundant. A lot of them are, are, are a lot of the same. And well, everybody the with a computer has an indicator now. Anybody yeah. can build an indicator. And they, they are terribly redundant. My take on indicators is you need to know each indicator must have a specific purpose. And people put on stochastics, my percent R, MACD, uh, channel index. They're, they're all the same thing. There's not an ounce of spit of difference between any of them. The difference comes in two areas. First of all, what time amount of time are you putting into that indicator? Usually most indicators are 10 and 20 day time frames. Why? Because before we had computers, that's how we ran numbers. We didn't have adding machines when I started. And all those indicators, even the ones that were constructed before I began, all used 20, 10 and 20 day averages or 50 day, because that was easy to do on an adding machine, but not on a, we didn't have calculators. So that's one thing, but it, 
be it. So what's the time frame? The time frame of the indicator should match the time frame of what you're trading. Secondly, each indicator that I have has a different purpose. So I have some indicators to measure accumulation, some to measure trend, some to measure momentum in the market, some to measure time periods like cycles and seasonals. So each indicator is there for a very specific purpose on my chart. Not there just because, oh, it looks like a good indicator. I've, I've gone through that phase. Each indicator must have a specific function to help you understand the markets a little bit better. I think this is one of the most important things. Uh, I know I learned this from you, and, and that's exactly what you said, having an indicator to have a purpose. Because when I first started pulling up my indicators, and I look at my background coming from the pit, and then when I started to pull up, uh, even 20-something years ago, there was a 1,000 indicators. Uh, and I and I looked at it, and I'm like, okay, I, I just kept trying every single thing. And at some point, my screen was so full of indicators, I really wasn't even looking at price action. I was just looking at indicators. And I started to realize after watching some of your stuff and understanding his purpose, how much of how much do you want to have on a chart? Because if we say it's for purpose, do you do you do you think you need something for momentum? Do you need something for mean reversion? Do you need something for X? How much do you think a trader really needs to have to have these indicators for each purpose? I'd bifurcate that into two distinct ways of doing it. First of all, I have weekly charts that I look at every Saturday morning, just like a religion. I go to the Larry Williams Church of Commitment Traders, <laughs> and I look at my weekly because that's where I think you can best see the fundamentals and the setups, things that cause markets to move. So I'll look at seasonals. I'll look at commitment trader report, advisory sentiment index, valuation, uh, models that I've developed that not always, but usually are harming of what's to come in the future. Then once I get that established, like this market is set up to rally, then I'll go to the daily charts because the daily charts serve a specific and different purpose. The weekly charts are to say, this market's set up, it should have a big move. The daily charts then get at a time like, oh, we have a trend change here or a breakout or whatever. But the daily charts are much more about entry and the weekly charts are about setup. This market's ready for a move. We better start looking for buy signals go to the daily charts to find uh, the buy signals. Do you go ever lower time frame than daily or no? I did have a few years ago. It cost me money. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I just a daily, you know, I'm an old man. I'm almost 80 years old. So <laughs> what do I need with a 15 minute bar chart? I'm like, get out of here. Uh, daily charts work fine. And I, I actually think the more data you have, the more confused you become. So what I want a lot of data. Maybe that's just me. But uh, I don't want a lot of data in front because the more data you have, the more decisions you'll make. And in this business, you tend to make the wrong decisions most of the time. Just give us a day in the life of Larry, you know, things that you're doing in terms of preparing for your markets that you're going to be trading, maybe some things you do away from the screen, how much time you're spending at the screens, um, just to prepare yourself to, to be a trader. Well, my daily uh, routine, if you will, and what begins again is on Saturday, where I look over my setup markets and find out what markets I think are ready to move this coming week. Begins there. Then um, I'll watch the markets a little bit during the day, not much really, because I have other things to do. I am most likely going to work out in the morning. I'll go for a run or I'll go to the gym and work out uh, something to stay in shape. I'm really impressed with data that shows from the Framingham study people live the longest in America, the people that had the best lung function. 
uh, and people that walk live longer than people that don't walk. People that walk fast live longer than people that don't walk fast. So to me, the whole longevity thing is lungs are number one. You really have to have a great lung function. However you do that, singing, yelling as a day trader, shouting, exercising, that's going to be really, really helpful. So I will exercise not always once a day, but usually uh, for about an hour, uh, sometimes a little bit longer. And I, I will be competitive and age events uh, you know, I have competitive i think all traders have a competitive feeling to them so i do like to compete still but then my my daily stuff really starts uh as the markets close uh the markets close then i look at what to me are the key short-term indicators and i make notes i don't know if i can see my but i've got my notebook every day and i write in my little you know here's my trades for tomorrow i'm up down narrow so that would mean something to me of course but uh then i'm prepared uh, and then I stop. I walk away from it. I come back maybe 30 minutes later and review what I just looked at. And then cause sometimes I see things that aren't there uh, or I, I make up things. You know, we all, yeah, uh, Joe Biden's a good guy or a bad guy. It doesn't matter what you think of the guy, but we'll read that into the charts. And I just stand back and say, well, wait a minute. Hold on. Look at it again. Then I can say, okay, I do have a good buy signal for tomorrow. I put my buy point here, my stop is here, and I'm done. I place my orders, I'm done, through, until the next day in the afternoon. You have to come into trading and say, I'm going to be a, of, of the student mentality. That, I think, is key. A student mentality doesn't right. have lofty expectations on a day-to-day -day basis of performance. If you have that at er, in the early stages, it's only going to get in your way. It's only going to start to make you think you have psychology problems before you even have a remote semblance of edge in markets. It's only going to make you learn slower. If you have somebody new coming into your program and you were to give them one piece of advice about getting funded, what, what would you say to them? One piece of advice. I mean, that's that's tough without knowing anything about them. I mean, yeah, let's it, say the general thing. The reason I, I just want to kind of piggyback off that because I'm trying to like build how I think they grow into not just a funded trader, but this is more about your experience seeing how the prop side works and how a trader grows into becoming a, a successful trader. I don't yeah. think every trader listening to this is going to go into the Apteros uh, uh, program. Uh, but I think that the process that you're putting in place is extremely important because it, it shows them how to get to the point that they want to get to. I mean, so you can't that's mess around with risk and you can't expect it to happen tomorrow. So it certainly sets that that framework. And then it's, you know, honestly, one of my biggest pieces of advice that I always give to people trying to to get good at trading is to journal. I, I think it's huge, not only just from a psychology perspective, and, and start to figure out where you go off kilter and where you start to like do some bad things and whatnot, which generally can be helpful at identifying those patterns, but just jotting down in, Hey, this happened on this little pattern here for at 10 15 this morning in the S and P let me write down. I thought that was interesting, right? Just a gen, a, a, a market observation. Cause you can have a lot of those thoughts throughout the day and kind of forget about them at times. So Take a screenshot, you know, make a little notation to go back and study it. Journaling throughout the day is one of the things, because think about it. 
the arena of trading, where does it occur? Is it on the computer screens in front of you? Is it out on the exchange? Is it somewhere in fiber optic wires? Where does the, the battle of the, the arena, where is it? It's right here. Absolutely. You may, like, ultimately a signal may run down my arm and to the mouse and I might click something or I might hit a hotkey on my keyboard. But that's from, it, this is where tra trading occurs, okay? So let's take football, for example. They have a big game on Sunday or whatever. They go on Monday and they watch film, right? Okay, let's look at how we did this play at this time. You know what? Hey, tight end, you were supposed to roll, it, roll out and block here, you know, whatever. Quarterback, you're supposed to read this coverage. Look how you didn't see they were in zone versus man or, or whatever. I'm not a football expert. But reviewing film, they can go back and clearly in black and white see what decisions were made in what contextual situations. You don't have that in trading because everything is occurring in this arena. So if you just write some stuff down with timestamps, if you just journal in some way, whether it's you speaking into a recording, whether it's you recording yourself like this, whether it's you with a, um, you know, a, a notepad writing stuff down, whether it's typing it in, in um, Notion or whatever, document what happens in that arena of trading so that you have some game film to review. That's more than just where you click the buy or sell button because that's the end result of a lot that happened up here. What's that next phase? Because I think this is where I could see traders all of a sudden saying, I've done this and, and then they get ahead of themselves. And all of a sudden it's like, I want more. I know I'm just thinking the way I'm thinking because I know how I am. And once I do one thing, good, that's I'm, very I'm natural. That's very natural. What people tend to get, they start to see a little bit of success or, or whatnot. And then all of a sudden, they're not that student anymore. They come in, they place performance expectations on themselves on a short term basis. We're dealing with a random environment here, guys, regardless of what your strategy is. Um, there are days where losing a little bit of money is is a great day for you. It's what you should do and, and you executed flawlessly. So the biggest mistake that people make at, at that phase where they start to put it together is, well, now, now I've got this thing figured out. So I demand this and I expect this on a short-term basis. And now performance goes out the window because you lose your objectivity totally. and you lose that. I'm going to say some very powerful words here. You lose your innocence. You lose the love of markets. You lose the purity that comes with being open-minded and being egoless as a student would. Submitting yourself to being open to what the market has to teach you and to what you can see objectively for your strategy and your tools. Those are some very, very powerful words, and it's a big deal to lose those things. So ultimately, the goal is to revert more towards that childlike state, that open, intuitive state where you're self-aware and all those things that make you a strong trader. To, to, and why, why any of that? So that you can go execute as well as possible. If you, if you get all that stuff out of whack and now all of a sudden it's about, I want to make X dollars today or I want to 
um, have a certain win percent, you know, or whatever, and you you focus on that thing on the next trade, which the outcome of is random, and the next trade, you're just totally screwing yourself. So that's the biggest path that I see people go to once they start to see some success. Why trade futures with TradeStation? You can trade over 160 futures contracts and over 240 futures options products from home, work, or on the go with a powerful, easy-to-use interface and prices that let you focus on padding your wallet, not emptying it. TradeStation, helping you reach your financial edge. To a trader out there right now that's just getting started or has been trading for a while, what do you think the steps are for them to get to the point to where they can start developing and recognizing how mental edge is actually a thing in helping them as a trader? Yeah, it, it, it's quite a difficult thing. I mean, I, I like to look at trading as something where, try, try to imagine it with three lenses, three lenses that kind of all overlap slightly. Um, and one of them is this, this knowledge and technical know-how lens. Um, one, one is your risk process and risk philosophy lens. And one is your, your ability to manage yourself your self-management lens. And these, these three lenses all kind of overlap. Now, really, you have to be developing all three together. But what happens, and quite understandably, is we want to know what it is we're doing and how to do it first. So that lens, which is really the knowledge and technical know-how lens, gets nearly all the energy and all the effort and becomes inflated and a lot bigger. And very quickly, we understand what trading is, we understand what what market it, what markets are, we'll understand systems, we'll understand products. We'll have, we can build those technical skills, which we all go to first, quite quickly. But we've left the others behind. We haven't developed our risk process. We haven't developed our risk philosophy. We haven't developed a structure around how we take risk. And then we haven't developed the skills to be able to manage ourselves through that process. We haven't understood you know, the uncertainty and the complexity of the markets. Markets don't ever work the way we think they're going to work. Um, and, you know, so we, we come to it the wrong way. So it's really about learning all three, learning in a way which is all three of those lenses. But you do, paradoxically, as I'm saying that, need to know the basics and the foundations of it first, which is the knowledge and the technical know-how. And then you start developing the other stuff as you go through that. So take us through it. You have a trader today that comes to you and says, Stephen, look, at I know that at some point I want you to be my performance coach when I get to the level of really being able to develop that mental edge and to get and to really hone it in. What would be the advice you'd give to that trader to say at this point right now, this is what you should be focusing on before I think maybe even you and I have a discussion? Right. Well, I, I would say, first of all, get out there, practice, get some experience um get a feel for it see what you're doing well what's not doing well what you're not doing well you know you need to get beaten up a little bit first of all you need to get some bruises you know you need to know what you're up against you know if you if you go in there and you've just made money straight for a year you know and you're in a bull market it feels pretty easy but you don't really learn until you get punched in the face properly and knocked down um and, and that's what you need to have you need to have some adverse experiences so I, I very rarely work with people with less than one, generally less than two years experience. Yeah. I want them to have something that we can talk about and explore together. What would you say the next step would be? It's, you know, a great way to think about it is to think about it like you would with sport, how you go around learning a sport or maybe a musical instrument. You know, you just start by doing it. 
That's the yeah. first thing. You know, you you can't really be taught it. You have to learn it. And it, it's it's a strange thing. So you That's know, if you right. want to, if you want to play tennis, if you want to do become a boxer, you know, you practice at first. You play around a bit. You get some experiences. You, you maybe have some good experiences, some bad experiences. And then you think, you know, I, I really want to learn how to do this. You know, and you go to someone and they're not going to teach you, but they're going to work with you and they're going to help you improve your game. And they're going to help you work on different parts of your game and they're going to help accelerate your growth. And this is one of the challenges of trading. It takes many years to start becoming profitable, to start getting to the point where you can consistently rely on your income. And if you if it takes too long, you're going to run out of time. You know, so you want to accelerate that growth. I mean, that's why a lot of people work with coaches to accelerate their growth. And also because it's a constantly evolving, changing and adapting environment. You know, someone could be really good for five to seven years or even 10 years and suddenly the market environment changes and suddenly they can't make any money. So it's almost like they have to relearn. And that's a constant evolving process with traders. So, you know, again, some of my guys I'm coaching are, 20, 25 year veterans that, you know, they want to adapt, they want to learn, they want to get better, they want to grow. It's a constant evolving and emergent process, uh, trading is. But that is it, you have, to, you have to learn it. And you work with someone as a coach who supports you through that learning process. Well, everyone's risk tolerance is different. I mean, here's the thing. If I tell you it should be 25%, your account may be huge and you might choke. Right. Because that's like mentally you can't handle it. I mean, not you specifically, someone. Right. This is for example. Uh, so there, there's really no exact formula for a trader. It has to be what works for you where you don't choke. That's kind of key. Right. So if I'm, you know, full margin and I'm not doing well, I'm going to trade crazy. If that's what I if that's what I'm doing, I'm going to make mistakes. So you want to be doing good trading and size that you can handle. I mean, that that's almost the key versus you know, trade 10% positions, 25% positions. Um, but the key is also, you know, getting in slowly. I mean, that's the thing. If you're, if you're coming in from cash, you might have to have more positions to see what's working. I mean, you got to start testing the waters and stuff. Uh, you know, so, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's, those are my main keys to position sizing in a nutshell. I mean, but there's a lot more to it and we go over this all the time. There's a lot of different ideas you can use. Uh, but, you know, scaling in is, is appropriate, you know, so. How many positions would you say is the most that you, that you see yourself having on at one time? Uh, I wouldn't want to have more than 15, really. I mean, that's, okay. that's the problem with that is if I'm flipping them really quickly, keeping partials and everything's working, I might have a couple, you know, stuffed in my back pocket that I forgot about that are like, you know, three or four positions and maybe I can get up to 20 or something like that, you know, so. But, you know, something I started small and they're just they're trending. Like I've got something on my screen. We'll share just, you know, trends from 15 to 70. You're not going to sell it. You just kind of hold it. But you're busy trading other stuff. So, yeah, I mean, the, the more not the merrier, really. You want to concentrate, you know, you want to, uh, you know, flip in and out of those those, you know, sell into strength all the time, too. I mean, if you can. So and, and don't be so sad if it keeps going up without you, you know, we're focused on getting another setup, kind of similar setup something else so how much cash do you typically keep of your portfolio always on the sideline for an opportunity because we never know when that opportunity is going to come or, or are you yeah. many times 
just all in, just all in these different names. Right. Well, if it's if the environment is good, and I can get in quickly. Like uh, you know, in 2019, when I won at the end, I I had to get all the way in very quickly because everything worked for me. Sometimes you just have to hit three in a row, and then number four is is good. Now you're you know in the money and you're 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 clicking. You know, and then you can yeah. really get all your money in. And you move those stops up, and you say, okay, I had an account that was at this level. Uh, you know, it's going to stay there now because my my risk has moved up to that level. Now we're letting the money go. And I mean, that's what, then you want to really just kind of let, let the stuff go. And I don't necessarily want to close all the positions if things are trending well. You know, like 2020 was, was an awesome year. And, you know, we had, I even had five official positions that were maybe over 100% winners on the platform. And, you know, that was an awesome year to just let those go 100%. So there's, you know, not the full position. I would take some profits along the way, of course, to make sure it's, you know, move the risk up. But that's how you can get into something else a lot bigger. Now, now your account grew, right? Because you you have that 100% winner on one and you can afford to take some more risk and then you have more size and then you're growing, you're growing your account and growing your business because it's a business, right? Yeah. So. What would you say is the most you would be in a single position? Let's just say the stars were aligned yeah. and you loved it. You were like, this thing is just chomping at the bit for me to be in as much as I can. How much of a percentage basis of your capital would you be in? I mean, I probably wouldn't go more than 25%, but that that's huge. You know, talking about like uh, your net worth or something, probably not more, you know, that would be, that would be on the top end, but it would have to be high conviction and all that. But I don't have a lot of conviction. I just, you, you just add up all the stuff that makes sense. And sometimes it just won't work out. So you really don't want to go all in, you know, necessarily. You want it to prove itself to you and you can add on later, things like that. So, uh, you know, and you want to be careful and follow all your rules. Don't end up in something that blows up either. I mean, if you have 25 percent of your money in, in something, uh, there, there's one called the SCSN, which would just blew up like a small biotech. Like that's something I wouldn't want that kind of money in. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have to be, it also matters what the stock is, uh, you know, maybe if it was you know, Amazon or something like that, that I'm going to go a lot bigger in that versus, you know, risky uh, speculative biotech stock with no earnings. And I have no idea what they do. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So it, it could be s as simple as a bigger name, like an Amazon or an Apple or a name that everybody knows. If it's got that yeah. look that you want, you feel a little yeah. bit safer because you know that you're not going to wake up and, you know, uh, and have a blow up. Uh, I mean, it, of course, that could still happen, but it's still, yeah, but likelihood is less. Yeah, yeah, and then, and then the shorting stuff is, of course, super dangerous when you short individual stocks. You, you theoretically could blow up. Uh, you know, it could go to a million and off the open, but you know, not likely. But you know, this can happen. So yeah, do you short any stocks? Uh, I do, but not. You know, I don't really do that regularly. I, I shorted steel recently. I might show that uh, an ETF, and that's what I'll put on the platform. The ETF's a little safer. You know, I'll show that that I did that, and then you know, I got I got some profits, flip long, and then you know, it's kind of a messy market, and it's kind of a good illustration of that point. If I kind of show those trades, rather, you know, so trade the global markets with trading technologies. TT is the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now with integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. Learn more at tradingtechnologies.com. You know, I, I started uh, back when the market was super hot, late 90s, and that was my introduction 
uh, to the market. And I found for me, growth stocks, that's, that's what really uh, resonated with me, finding those uh, names that had big earnings growth and, and big revenue growth and a new product or service. And I like to say something that that changed uh, the way we work, live or play. You know, there's a there's a, a, a N factor that I learned in Can Slim, and that N is for new, and it's something that's uh, stuck with me. And finding those those new growth stocks that are that are really uh, growing, like I said, earnings and revenues, and that's kind of where I start. Is I build this watch list of all of those uh, stocks. Uh, screen for them that are growing those revenues, growing those earnings. Uh, and then I take that list, that big universe list, and start going through them for the for the technical side uh, for my entries and exits. Explain to everybody what CanSlim even is. I'm sure some people don't even know. Sure. So what, this comes from William O'Neill and the book, How to Make Money in Stocks. And that CanSlim is an acronym, the C for current earnings. Uh, annual uh, earnings. The new, like I said, is for a new uh, product or service. S we look for for sponsorship. L for leadership. Um, what am I missing? I institutions are involved. M is the market itself. We want to make sure uh, that the market is healthy and the market uh, is in an uptrend and growth stocks in particular uh, that they're participating. And when all those things line up, uh, that's where we want to focus. We want to focus on the strongest stocks, the leadership names uh, in a healthy market and, and ride those for as long as they'll let us. You know, as long as the market and the stocks themselves stay healthy, you know, the studies show on average uh, about nine months to 18 months in that range, uh, we can look for as a position trader uh, to try to capture uh, a big trend. And, and that's for me uh, in the big picture, that's that's what it's all about is trying to get a hold of one of these growth stocks early in their cycle when they when they're either coming out of an IPO base or stage one, you know, early base and then ride that as long as it will let me. One thing that I always see when I talk with a lot of traders that, that do what you do, I feel like there's just so many stocks out there, right? There's it's like for me in the futures world, I look at it and go, it's it's pretty easy for me. To know which markets I'm trading, I'm either gonna I have a handful of them: gold, silver, oil, S and P, Nasdaq, Russell, you know, and I'll go into some crypto stuff and maybe some Treasury yields things here or there. But for you guys, it's just, it, there's just so many. How sure. are you narrowing it down? Are you using something to? Uh, is it is it an automated system? Is it you manually doing this? How does this work? So from a fundamental perspective. I'm a big fan. I use MarketSmith. I run screens. Now you're exactly right. We're talking about a universe of eight to 9,000 stocks. And then we've got that's to huge. narrow that down. Exactly. So if that's your focus and you're scanning the whole market, you're, you're going to be lost. So what I do, I narrow that down. I look for the strongest earnings growth on an annual basis, the strongest revenue growth on a quarterly basis. So once I have that that that's probably going to get me down to about 300, let's say. Then I'm going to take the top groups. So I like to, to MarketSmith actually separates those for me into A and B categories. Okay. So that's going to give me basically the top 40% of the groups. So then I can narrow that down even further, focus on only the strongest groups. And then within those groups, 
narrow it down one more time to the relative strength names. So show me the strongest growth in the strongest groups in the market, and then show me the relative strength within those. Those are going to be at the top of my watch list. And that's, that's where my focus will be. So I get down right now, 140 names, which is like triple what that it, <laughs> that's like triple what it usually is. And then and why is that, that? Is it because there's just a lot of setups right now? Correct. It's just the market's coming out of, uh, you know, we had the correction. It's coming out of the correction now. Growth stocks are really participating and leading value. That's something I look at as well. And when that's the case, I see that list go from, you know, 40 names to 60 names to 100 names. And like I said, now 140. Uh, so I still will focus on the top third of that because that's the really the, the leaders and the strongest, you know, names in the market. Uh, but but that's a huge part of my my process and how I I narrow it down. How do you go or how do you know, Anthony, when to stop working and make that full transition from being uh, in the workforce and trading, you know, building your strategy as a trader to eventually saying this is it. I am now ready to stop working and focus full time on trading. That's a great question. And I get that question probably once a week friends, family members on social media. And, and I think it really comes down to everybody's mindset. So I'm, I'm a big believer in having, you know, multiple streams of income, wherever you can get that. Oh, excuse me, the phone went off. Having, you know, multiple streams of income, wherever they can come from. I think a trader needs to be consistently profitable for probably three, four, five years at least through a variety of market cycles before they make that move. Because, you know, the, the past year and a half hasn't really been symbolic of what the markets usually do. You know, so we got QE, March of 2020. And since then, you know, we've had the Fed backstop. And, and I don't want to say things have been easier because they haven't been easy. You know, they're never easy. But there's been a lot of really big moves that I think have juiced people's returns that I don't know that you get that in a, in a regular market environment. So, so if I had just been profitable for the past year, I don't know that I'd want to quit my full-time job and say, okay, you know, I'm going to trade for, you know, forever. But I think it comes down to, you know, realistic expectations. You know, if somebody has a trading account of, you know, a couple hundred thousand, it might be a little bit easier to make that transition than if they've got a $20,000 account and they think that they can make, you know, 80 or a hundred grand a year on a $20,000 account. So I think it, I think it's something that, you know, everybody's different, you know, but I think it really comes down to having realistic expectations and, and having enough of a background to uh, feel comfortable with it. I love that answer. First, you said three to five years. I was on the trading floor surrounded by traders making millions of dollars. I worked for the first three years because I wasn't making any money. And right. I don't know why people really, they struggle with the fact that they actually have to work and trade. It's like they want to be the full-time trader so bad that right. I think it's a pride thing. It's an ego thing where they're just like, look it, I could just go and do this. But yet I think that puts so much pressure on you that you – distort your ability to really learn. And 
a couple other things you mentioned, I think are so true. Obviously expectations. I actually just did a video on this with develop your edge this past week. I got a ton of comments on it. And I think that so many new traders, their expectations are, are way too high. I, mean, right. I think it was definitely a little bit different 20 years ago uh, when we both started. I, a lot of people I knew started with small amounts uh, of money and were able to, you know, be able to turn those into larger amounts. Sure. And I think expenses were a lot less than there's just a lot of different factors. I think markers were a little bit different than they are now. And then the other thing, I think this is so important. This is kind of where I want to go next is that this type of market, especially a lot of the stock traders I know over the last couple of years, Bad habits have been rewarded, Larry. Yeah. In a market that keeps going up, you feel that this sense of comfortability of thinking that, look, at all I have to do is buy the dip or, or whatever it is. And the sense of comfort, comfort is built and it, it creates false expectations. And when you said go, you have to go through a couple of market cycles, to me, that's the best advice because until you see a time where you can't make money and how do you react to that? I don't think you really know who you are as a trader to be able to leave a job or not have to work uh, to go full time. You know, you make some good points. And, and what I think it comes down to is if you're trading full time and you have a full time job, you have this mindset, I think, that even if trading, if you go through a rough week or a rough month or a rough quarter or whatever it is, you know that you have your your, your employment income coming in. So I think you have that, that little bit of a mental backstop. And I think once you cut that safety net and you say, okay, you know, okay, boss, you know, I'm done. I'm going to work for myself. You know, it, it's important, you know, the first day you fire up the computer and you realize, okay, I don't have that safety net anymore. You know, it, it's a different, it's a totally different mindset whatsoever. So I think that I think that before people give up, you know, good jobs with benefits and stuff like that, they should really push it as long as they can till they have a really big, you know, cash cushion. They can get through a bad quarter, you know, bad couple months, whatever it is. But I, I think it's something it took me a long time. So I decided in 2003 that I wanted to work for myself and be a full time trader. But I didn't really make that full move. I put it off for like 18, 17 years. I put it because I was making good money. And I said, okay, and and you know, I'm not a I'm not a very active trader. So I don't day trade, I don't swing trade, things like that. So I'm I'm more of a position trader and a trend follower. So I mean, realistically, if if I take, you know, one new position a week, that might be my average. So I don't know that I need to sit in front of a screen for 40 hours, you know, to take one position a week. So I think everyone's different. But but I would say, you know, put it off as long as you can, because once, you know, once you cut the cord, you want to be sure you've got a good foundation and you don't put undue pressure on yourself. What are some of the things you put in play to be able to hold your winners longer and have that 20 percent be where a majority of your winners uh, money that you make comes from? Sure. So I think probably one of the most important things I do on the weekend is I try to figure out, are we in a healthy market? I, you know, on Saturday, I, I literally try to answer that one question. What type of market are we in? And I kind of reset every Saturday and try to uh, renew that question. Are we in a healthy market? And so, you know, I do I have different you know, things I look at from bonds and sentiment, whatever, um, all kinds of things um, to try to figure out the answer to that question. Now, once I, if the answer is yes, 
Well, then on Sunday, I go ahead and create my watch list and make my plan for the trading week at that point. Um, yeah. I like to use moving averages personally um, to tell me what type of trending market we're in. Also, I think that's so simple, but it, it's it just works perfectly. I mean, we know if we have a bullishly aligned moving averages, we're in uptrend. It's that simple. Why, don't overthink it. Don't look at every tick. You know, that's it. Exactly. I mean, I love how much you hear from people that say, well, moving averages don't work. Well, they may not work for you. And I've gotten a lot of pushback on this and people are like, oh, don't tell me that you use moving averages or whatever. Now, I don't use moving, moving averages for entries, but I use them as guides of trend. And they're great because you could take that moving average to whatever time frame that you're looking at. And you could say to yourself, I like the 10-day moving average a lot for my time frame. Mm -hmm. If we're holding above or below it, and I see my other indicators, which I primarily use Bollinger Bands, and we're staying below it, I don't need to look at a trend line or anything else. I know what the 10-day trend is. Mm -hmm. It's just that simple. And that's something that I put into play to keep me in a trade. I mean, people, when they say, well, how do you get better holding winners? Or how do you get to that 80-20 where 20% are? You need to put things in that keep you in the trades, right? You need to put those things in. So mm -hmm. you said you use moving averages because we're going to go to the charts here in a little bit. Before we get there, I want everyone to understand your style and your thinking before we get there. So when we get to the charts, we just start talking about markets and what we're seeing. Absolutely. Take us from the beginning. When you sit down, you say you do a lot of prep. What are you looking at? What are the tools you're using? Okay. So my charts are going to be really simple. And I believe that there's elegance and simplicity, right? If I have too much stuff cluttering up my charts, I'm obscuring the most important thing, which is price. That's the way I look at it. So I use... Two moving averages, you're going to see the nine-day EMA and the 23-day EMA. Those are the two that I use. Um, you're going to see volume on there, and then you're going to see price. And that's that's really it. Um, I'll okay. draw then areas that I think um, are support and resistance, or at least were prior important areas. We'll, we'll find out after the fact that they're support and resistance, of course. But um, but that's that's as simple as I can make it. You know, because you know, if price isn't talking to you, what are you really looking at a chart for at that point? Um, so that's, that's what I look at as far as my charting goes. Um, as far as, you know, things that I look at, you know, to tell me if the market's healthy or not, I think, um, you know, there's different things. There's sentiment, bond ratios, you know, that, that kind of tell you what's going on, um, and breadth. I think breadth, which has been deteriorating since February, um, is, is really important. With that being said, as we know, breadth is not a timing mechanism. Like, it's been deteriorating for six months now, seven months now. And so, so we can acknowledge it, but that doesn't mean that we can trade off of it. So it's awareness. You want to be yeah. aware in case something starts to happen, like what we saw, you know, a couple of days ago to where all of a sudden now you say to yourself, look at this has been showing it. And now the market's giving me the feedback that this is potentially happening. And now maybe uh, I take caution with whatever it is I'm doing or it sets up for something. I, I just call it market awareness. And I think this is also something that a lot of traders I really believe struggle with is taking some of the things that they hear out there, whether it's on Twitter or you know other podcasts or other things, and saying, how do they utilize this all this information? Because we're at a time where there's just so it's overwhelming. I think that traders that have plans and, and know what they're looking for are confident in what they're looking for can take those types of things, like you said, with breath. And it's just like sitting back there, right, Jack? It's something that you're like, okay, it's not making me trade right now, but if something starts to happen, I'm like, okay, it matters now. We used to say on the trading floor a lot, nothing matters until it does. 
we weren't watching news a lot. We would see headlines and we watch the market. Nobody would say, oh, I saw that headline. Let me hit the bid or buy the offer. We very rarely did that when we were on the floor. What we did was we'd see the news and then we'd watch. I think everybody nowadays, the algos can do that. We can't do that. So when I see something or hear something or there's anything going on, I go back to the tape. You said nine and 23 moving averages, Mm -hmm. volume, price, and breadth. Right? That's it. And before we get to the charts, what is your time frame that you're looking at? Is it daily, 60 minutes? Do you have multiple time frames? Yeah. I almost, I rarely will go under a day. Um, so I'll do daily. I look at weeklies um, and I, I'll look at monthlies um, every well, once a month. But, uh, um, <laughs> but, that, but yeah. that's about it. You know, sometimes I sneak every, every couple of weeks in a monthly, but, uh, but in general, once a month. Um, but yeah, but that's it. So I like to look at my dailies and, and I think weeklies are instructive again, just for that longer, you know, zoom out, see the forest type of thing. Um, or what's going on in the market? You know, are we, did we go straight up and, and I didn't realize it? You know, sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes the market's moving and, and you're so focused on, on, on the minutia that you don't realize what it's actually doing. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Never miss an episode. Go to anthonycrudelli.com and get on our email list for show notifications and for free content that is exclusively for subscribers. Also on anthonycrudelli.com, you will find tons of videos and education on trading futures, options, and crypto. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Opinions expressed are solely my own and my guests, and they do not express the views or opinions of my sponsors. Future's radio show is produced by Crudelli Productions.